Hello and welcome to Can't Find My Way Home, the podcast where expats from around the globe talk about the music and art scene in their adopted home. I'm your host, Craig. I was joined by Tom Daly for episode 7 of Can't Find My Way Home. Tom's an American expat and has been based in South Korea for the best part of 25 years. We cover Tom's influences, musical tastes and inspirations that led him to fronting numerous bands. We also get into some of the challenges of playing with local musicians as well as the changes in the live music scene in South Korea. This chat about band democracy, the pros and cons of running a live bar, and where to find like-minded musicians if you're new to the country, as well as an excellent top five. Without further ado, Tom Daly. Uh, There is not anyone else in the that's related, that plays a musical instrument, that uh, sings, um, uh, does anything artistic relatively. It doesn't mean they don't appreciate that, they just don't do it. So I started singing to myself just along with the radio when I was young and felt I could go with it. And then when I heard um, probably about early teens, I kind of keenly was more aware that I thought I could sing. And then I heard, you know, Bad Company and Free and Paul Rogers' voice. And uh, I was singing along with that, and it sounded very much like it, and I was told such, so uh, I started pursuing it even more so, uh, trying to find burgeoning bands, you know, uh, at the age of 13 and 14. But the first band was 15. I was 15. I forget the name. I still have a picture of the first gig that we did. I, I, I was on Facebook and saw the uh, guitar player was on there, and I saw his pictures. And, and it was funny because, you know, we were playing things that a f- mid-'70s band, rock and roll band, would play, like a lot of Kiss. Uh, Aerosmith, you know, Beatles, Rolling Stones. Uh, what was cool at the time? Oh, Kiss was very cool at the time. You know, very, it was very anarchic, as we were telling before. It was, you know, wow, wait, these guys, you know, dressing in makeup. You know, <laughs> you know, the New York Dolls weren't as commercially successful, so the makeup aspect really didn't hit home as much as Kiss did with many people. But uh, yeah, and, and years later, I put that posted picture on uh, Facebook, and uh, Neil Bukowski, uh who you know well, but for everybody out there, is a wonderful bass player, and uh, and plays has a array of six and seven string basses. He looked at the picture and he said, "Man, the stance that you have right there is the same stance that you had when we played together in the in the '99 band, all the way through you know the 2010s." So uh, I guess you know that's one thing that I remember about it, that first band. So and then you know some more in high school, college. One of the reasons I joined the military was because I was in a band in college and I didn't pay attention to my studies. The band did well. The college asked me to uh, take a semester off to reassess my educational goals. And I just didn't have it in me to keep, I tried, you know, night school and all, or, or, you know, whatever. I needed something to get out, you know, and I still was at 19 at the time. So I joined the, joined the U.S. military and did that for 20 years. And, and throughout the time there, you know, I had various musical efforts, but with the various amount of moves that I made between primarily Korea and the East Coast of the United States, it was you know hard to get in a band and uh, or, or be able to commit to something, knowing that you might have to leave for uh, probably have to leave the country, you know, you know within a matter of months or so. So uh, coming back to Korea in in the '90s, played in you know bands here and some cool names. In Def Delay was one band that we had. It was a rock and roll band. What Indefinite kind of Delay. what kind of era are we going back to, Tom? What kind of uh, uh... 
early 90s, you know, attempts at hair metal at the time. Of course, you're in the military, you have short hair, so <laughs> hair metal is probably not the best way to describe it. You could bang your head, you know, all over the place, but still, you know, there's nothing going back and forth like early Motley Crue. Yeah, exactly. The enthusiasm is there for it. Yeah, it is. It is. But then the audience really doesn't, you know, as much, you know, at the time too, you know, playing in Korea, and this is where I was at, I mean, equipment was the hardest, it was the biggest challenge. Nobody really had, you know, large scale equipment like drums, keyboards, PA systems uh, amongst the expats who were over here. And um, uh, probably the linkage with the Korean um, establishments that uh, do have the equipment uh, wasn't yet, you know, wasn't there yet. I mean, I, I was living in the suburbs of Seoul, so I didn't know to get into Seoul proper and uh, where the uh, uh, nightlife was and where there was live music playing. But, you know, that by the mid-90s that, you know, when I moved back to Korea, I was self-correcting um, because there were by that time a lot of places to, to go and play and hang out and, and, and inspire one to get your own band going. So, yeah, and then starting in the mid-90s, you know, I've been playing, you know, since playing for what now? 25 years uh, here in Korea. Uh, having a great time, still doing it. Uh, lots of different bands, meeting a lot of different people, uh, playing with expats and um, local Korean musicians as well. Small places, festivals. What would you good things to say about it? Yeah, excellent. What would you say is the the thing that's changed most then in those twenty five years? Is it, is it the influx of um, you know English teachers or people just traveling or? Uh, guys working on business through the U.S. military, they maybe their contractors. Are, what are the biggest changes you've seen? I think the biggest changes just have to do with, with musical preferences. I mean, the explosion of hip-hop and, uh, um, and rap music um, has really become the primary music uh, genre, I think, that people gravitate towards, uh, both in what they listen to and what they, uh, uh, they go for when they go out for a weekend night. They want to go to a club or bar that has um, you know, music playing they can dance to. And I think the, the live music aspect uh, has uh, fallen off as a result because uh, well, that genre doesn't necessarily lend itself as well to live performances where you have instruments, um, you know, guitars, bass, amps, and things like that. Um, so I think that probably lessens the number of people who are interested in the, you know, the, you can call it rock and roll or blues or blues, blues rock or whatever, you know, the stuff that, I grew up playing and, and to a degree still do play. So lesser number of people who are, uh, who are interested in that at a young age and pick up a, an instrument to go ahead and play as much. And a lot of the, uh, the technology has changed as well because uh, now you don't necessarily, I don't want to say need to have musical talent, but you can still produce probably quality music without maybe being able to play an instrument or sing and use your computer to create. And, and that itself, uh, um, you know, DJs uh, do that. Uh, a lot of music that we listen to today, you know, is, is, is done and created that way, I think. So, you know, it, it, it doesn't lend again for uh, having live performance or live bands per se. So that also results in lesser number of venues who, who uh, will use that as a primary form of entertainment because there, there are lesser people with that and there's more money to be made in having a DJ, especially because it's less expensive probably. I think that's probably been collectively the biggest change in what's affected uh, live music and, and uh, music. I, I like to play or go out to watch and see, or when you're trying to find uh, new musicians uh, to replace one person or, or starting up a band for that matter. Yeah, that's, that's a nice segue into my next question, actually, because uh, having been there for such a long time, for 25 years or so, it's this kind of continual 
a rolling cast of band members and where, where do you find these like-minded souls to to join you in making the, the musical madness? That's a good question. I think the uh, the first thing is true as it you know, was 25 or 50 years ago or however, as it is now is the perseverance and, you know, somebody in the band or, or you know, going out and, and trying to find people. Technology is great nowadays to try and connect with people, uh, though nowadays there's so much out there, you know, so many different forms of connecting. Some of the traditional ones now are things like Facebook and Craigslist, which people have kind of moved away from almost. So, uh, you know, you know, and where do you find, you, you end up having to know where the people actually go to get their information if they're interested in music. And hopefully you hit the, uh, you know, hit the gold nugget um, in doing so. I think here in Korea, um, word of mouth is, is a, uh, an excellent method. Going to open mics, um, jam nights, uh, and where there's live music is being played. So you get to, your face gets to be known or you get to know the people and you can uh, interact with them and branch out in the, uh, amongst musicians. There's a lot of uh, um, group private pages on Facebook or public pages for areas, for bands, for um, music genres and styles. And that's another way to find people. But, you know, uh, I, I, we've been fortunate over the last, you know, the B3 band, which is the one band that, you know, has been, I've been consistent with the last, say, 13, 14 years. Um, this iteration of the band, we've had more or less intact for five plus years, except for a few changes in the rhythm section, which is pretty unprecedented, I would think, anywhere for a, for a cover weekend band like we are, uh, whether it be, you know, Germany, whether it be uh, U.S., whether it be Korea or, or, or Scotland, for that matter. So It's not the easiest thing to, do, to, to maintain these relationships as well as, uh, you know, enjoy yourself and get into the music but there's all these other extra things that get in the way you know family life or people that their the time's up in the country or they just decide to move on for one reason or another it's never the easiest thing to do no you're exactly right and i mean one premise you know that i've always had with the guys i play with i said look you know we're here for a reason you know and family always comes first and and, and we've got to be respectful of our work environment because that's what brought us here so, you know, just be, you know, I, I ask and I try to be, you know, honest with everybody in the band about what's going on so we can, you know, uh, resolve any issues way in advance and have some understanding of that. I, I think one of the biggest things that, you know, you mentioned that is it is difficult, but as I think anybody gets older, um, you develop some uh, skill sets to interacting with people, uh, conflict resolution skills, problem solving skills, um, and, and you have a bit more understanding, I think, about yourself. You know, what might have broken up a band in the, uh, you know, in the, when, when you're in your 20s, um, you know, when you're in your 40s or beyond is like, okay, well, we can work around that. You know, imagine if the Beatles had that, uh, you know, those type of skill sets, you know, when they, back in 1970, I mean, we're at the 50th anniversary of breaking <laughs> up. I was reading yeah. much about it today. And maybe they still be, you know, be playing together, uh, you know, on and off. Like, uh, oh, let's not get into the Yoko question then or not, you know. <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's going to be this year's Yoko? Oh, God, who knows? Uh, no, it's, no, an, no. it's an interesting point, though, because it, it kind of leads us into another question I had, which was about this mix of, of people that you've played with, primarily yourself, you know, like uh, it could be people from the military or from a civilian background or, as I said, guys like me who were there teaching and working. What was it like... Mi uh, or is there a difference between trying to integrate uh, local people, you know, in this case, uh, South Koreans into the into the band? Or have you met many musicians of this type? I have. Good question. I mean, uh, you know, we've over the years, yeah, we've had um, I've played with Korean members in, in, in bands. 
I, I personally have found that sometimes the challenges are uh, the common core um, background of music that we listened and grew up with. And, um, you know, because really, in all honesty, a lot of Western music has not been prevalent in Korea on radio stations or video on TV or so uh, over the years for various reasons. You know, you look back in the 60s and 70s, you had the censorship from the, you know, the Korean government at the time. And, and you know, and since then, there's been a, you know, a homegrown effort to try and, and build interest in Korean music worldwide. I mean, the explosion of K-pop over the last X number of years is, is evidence of that. So um, live bands and live music and, you know, blues bass, rock and, and things like that are probably never really been the most prevalent music uh, format in Korea. So that leads to a lesser number of people uh, listening to it because it's harder to come by. But uh, there's still, a, you know, some great musicians that are, uh, you know, here in Korea. And um, mm, definitely. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, and also great uh, writers of songs and creators of, of cup content. There's some bands that I really like out here. Um, and I'll mention a few by name, uh, Hertz, uh, Walking After You, Batu, uh, That Monday Feeling, and, and that's just to name a few that, that also play and make music. Um, but, uh, you know, I've got a few of their CDs around here, you know, that are nice and signed, you know, by the band. But they have a hard time really, uh, you know, probably getting their music out uh, beyond, uh, beyond Korea and beyond the, you know, the, the wealth of people here in Korea who listen to that type of music. But um, I think the challenges, you know, sometimes we've found playing with local musicians, whether it be in a jam band, jamming together, or, or somebody auditioning, is that, that common core uh, frame of reference, like, uh, hey, we're doing a blues, uh, this is a moderate shuffle in A, um, you know, 12 bar change here, do a solo here. Uh, that sometimes is a bit challenging, because uh, I think a lot of our, our Korean players that I've played with before are very good at learning songs and learning, uh, um, you know, that particular song and the way it's played. So when you move away from that or do something different or just say, hey, just uh, just jam or, or whatever, do something by feel, it's maybe a little bit more foreign to them because that's not how they normally play. So that, that sometimes can enter into one's opinion of it, but if they don't know the reason for that, they sometimes have to come away with a bad taste in their mouth saying, oh, this guy doesn't know how to play or I can't play with him. And in all honesty, you need to probably kind of understand where he or that or, or she is coming from with the, how they play and maybe use that as a strength instead of a, see it as a, as a, as a weakness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When, if and or when you decide to move forward playing together or, uh, uh, you know, if, even if you're just jamming, try and relate to them in that sense. Now the language barrier also is a challenge at times too. I, I think I, I try and, uh, I think we've been successful because I have a Korean language level or ability. So, um, you know, that allows us to bring in somebody and, um, be able to communicate amongst ourselves and, and I'll act as the, you know, Korean English, Korean English translation tool as we're doing it. For, uh, for, for, for those listening, they might be imagining what are the crowds like in these places that, like, that you or I have played in and uh, venues large and small. Uh, just before we kind of came on here, we were talking about some of the bigger festivals maybe that go on in South Korea. Whether that happens this year or not is another, is another thing, but in the past. Right. Uh, what kind of crowds can, if we, if we take the audience into into this realm, what kind of audiences, hopefully there are an audience, this is to start with, hopefully there is someone there, but what kind of crowds can you expect? Well, there's some really uh, cool festivals that happen here in Korea, and a lot of them are regional, and um, there's a few producers and promoters that will uh, bring some bands in that, to play at those, some Western bands. Um, you know, there's not as many, um, right now there aren't as many bands as there used to be, expat bands. 
And mainly when you're going away from the soul area, the greater soul area, you have lesser number of people familiar with Western music, and they more want to see Korean entertainment. People who are or playing Korean songs. And at times they're also, the promoter might spend some money or the organizers might have some to bring on a burgeoning uh, K-pop uh, group, you know, that and, and play a 30-minute set. But, you know, it's, the, 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 the Seoul area has a lot of different um, bars and, and clubs that have live music. Expat ones are closer to where the use of the military base used to be, and there are a lesser number of those as well. But I think there's still venues out there, um, but you just need to be able to interact with them in a, in a Korean environment. So um, in, in our band, we have two uh, people who speak Korean. We're all expats. And that uh, really helps them because there's a trust value that's built um, as a result. The crowds are very enthusiastic. Mm. Um, they don't know all the material that we're playing. And we will um, shape our set lists and songs that we play to that audience. So we might not play some of the more obscure uh, songs that we do that sound really cool and, and, and maybe instead do something that's more well-known that you know we might not normally do that often because it, sometimes you can play a song too much. Uh, we learned a few Korean songs and people are very appreciative about that. At the same time, I'm normally in, interacting with the crowds in Korean, though um, my way of doing that is very westernized in the way I interact with them and talking kind of cheeky, you know, as <laughs> my wife will tell me. So uh, there's, there's a bit of dumbfoundedness uh, on the part of the crowd, only because it just, they're like, where's that Korean coming from? Right. And then it's related to me, and I'm, I'm kind of being very familiar with them, whereas most uh, times entertainers might not be or Korean entertainers. So it can work, and sometimes it doesn't work, and people get turned off by it, or but most right. of the time they do like it. If we look so, at it in a positive way, they're getting the best of both worlds, I think. Um, it's a nice way to say it, Craig. Thank you very much for <laughs> use that and just say, Craig told me I can say this from now on. H having sat behind you on many an occasion, I can, I can verify this is fact, you know, so. <laughs> well, you know, I have to tell you one thing I'd, I'd like to share is that, you know, uh, um, you were talking a bit before about the, the TNT, the 99 bar that, that um, we had down in Pyeongtaek where we had over 60 some odd acts over the, the whole time we were open. You know, solo artists, bands, uh, one-off bands, unit bands, with people who work together that aren't that good, but they bring a lot of people out to watch. One of our, our favorites was one of the bands that you were in the first time we actually met was with um, 40 Days. Right. Yeah. With um, yourself and Jeff and Adam and George. Um, I still get asked by my friend Larry, who's about 75 right now. He just loved your version of When the Levy Breaks and, and George playing a harmonica on that, playing a harp on that, which is probably one of the favorite songs that I remember from the whole time with all the live music. I got lucky meeting those guys there. I'll, I'll tell you, it was uh, uh, one of those pre-social media things and it was just, yeah, it was a right time, right place, but we had a great time playing. And yeah. we really enjoyed playing your venue as well because it was a, a welcoming and a, a welcoming environment. But it, on top of that, it was also a very nice sound we got. So always yeah, appreciate cool. That was, yeah, that took a lot of work. I mean, I'll say one thing, you know, one thing that's challenging here in any, I think in any, any country, I would think is, you know, is your band, you walk in and you, you're using the sound system and the equipment even of the establishment. So if you've got crappy equipment, you, know, you walk in and all of a sudden you got a negative vibe about it, or, you know, I'll use Woodstock's drum kit as an example. And I'll just watch your face cringe, you know, and, and when I see you, I just remember you're always trying to tighten the, you know, the, the screws on the hi-hat or so, or the kick drum, you know, being falling apart, but, uh, <laughs> Problems you don't really need at 11 p.m. on a Saturday night, you know? Well, we played, you know, I'll say this much, ladies and gentlemen out in the audience. 
uh, one thought I remember is, is Craig and I played in a Rolling Stones cover band. Actually, I sat in and sang for, uh, you know, a portion of the existence of the band. They were together a long time. But um, I do remember playing at Woodstock, uh, and we didn't go on until like 12.30, quarter or one. And we finished at like quarter of three, 10 of three. And I normally didn't have too many adult beverages beforehand, if at all, you know, in a rock and roll singing, because I just wanted to save my voice and it sounded better. And Woodstock had no monitor, so, you know, it would be hard to hear myself anyway. And so we get off stage, three o'clock. That's the time I start having a few beverages. And, you know, next thing you know, it's 5.30, you know, with the sun peeking in through those uh, <laughs> painted over windows. And you can hear the honks out on the street or the buses going as the people are cleaning the streets. The halcyon days, eh? Oh, yeah. Uh, speaking of good venues, I mean, because Woodstock is one of those great venues. Anyone who knows there, who's ever seen a band there, who's ever played there, who had uh, the joy of meeting Mr. Wu, who was a definite one-off character, you know, it was a great place to play. Yeah, it had its ups and downs, of course, with various things, equipment-related. But one of the gigs I saw you perform at, or at least I saw the video of, was... It was these great Korean beer festivals. I'm not really sure if that was the name, but yeah. they were outdoor venues that they looked really cool. Oh yes, they were. They and they still do those. They're, it's called the Great Korea Beer Festival, and uh, at its peak was uh, happening in early May, and then in uh, early October timeframe. Right. And um, we were fortunate to. Uh, uh, I think we were contacted years ago when we first played there, uh, and you know we I kept in touch with the promoters and the organizers uh, throughout the year to see what the latest status was. And then they were very kind, me, you know, the, 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 the production company. And yeah, we got to play at those. There was thousands of people at those. Now, granted, the, the, the stage sometimes, you know, you were, you were close to the beer tents, per se. There were beer trucks or so. And that's where you, know, you look and you see all these crowds. And, you know, we were off to the side. But, you know, we had a good gathering. We got good times. You know, they gave us a good, you know, 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock uh, gig set time. So that was, you know, after people had had a few beers or, you know, if it was a Friday after folks had gone home, changed and come on out for you know for the evening. And but that was you know, upwards of a few thousand. Yeah, fun. Definitely a, a great time of year. You know, May, the beginning of October, where you have you miss out the the madness of the the Korean summer, which is quite oh, nice. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, those those festivals, as you know, unfortunately, that you know the music is a is a big business, and uh, and so are those type of festivals. They were it was a festival, you know, with Korean craft beer, which is there's some quality stuff out there, and I'm like I'm a, a beer snob to a degree. Um, unless I was in Germany, then I'll just drink whatever they they give to me. <laughs> My, that. It's cheaper than water here, Tom. You know, oh, Scan, scandalous, you know. <laughs> you know, as the shape of my body has, if you could see me on your anyway, enough said about that. Speaking of which, though, so not not just your involvement in bands, or we we, we talked briefly there about the the venue that you were involved with. What are some of the differences then between a musician yourself and being the bar owner? How do you find that that balance between these two acts? Um, uh, well, I think both of them are um, mutually supportive and have their more advantages and disadvantages. I think what um, allowed us to be successful in getting those 60 acts and many of them folks coming down from Seoul. And we were, you know, we're an hour, an hour and a half away, you know, depending upon how you got down there by car or public transportation. And many times, you know, you finish up late at night, the best thing to do is there's no, the buses and trains have stopped. So the best thing to get a local hotel 
you know, at a very inexpensive rate. But um, I think that me being a musician um, had allowed me a little bit of gravitas with, you know, with others because they might know me as a musician and then they find out, oh, you have a venue that, you know, we can play at too. And uh, yes, we have equipment, you know, I said equipment and uh, I really strive to get good stuff. Um, you know, much to my wife's shoot when, when, <laughs> when the credit card receipts came in, you know, we did what? We bought what? Um, uh, but you know, that was the thing is to truly try and make something that was, uh, a, a quality place for people to come and play and, and warm place, um, you know, and, and, and enjoy themselves and, and to make sure that we did the, the right amount of advertising to the, get the, do the work on our part to get people interested and aware and to come out and see bands when they came to play. Have you so, seen a lot, excuse me, have you seen a lot of change in the, the clientele in the last couple of years, you know, as a, if you're wearing the, the bar owner hat? Uh, we have, uh, well, I stopped wearing that, as we I mentioned earlier to you when before we started, you know, in the, uh, in the soft opening, uh, uh, that, uh, you know, we, we closed uh, in late 2018, uh, but there have been a lot of changes. I think, uh, once again, as I was, the, 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 the people's preferences for styles of music, also lend to where they go at night and the, the bars and uh, um, and clubs that have live music, dance floors, loud music are, are, are really what uh, anybody in their 20s and 30s wants to go out to as far as where they want to spend their money and where they want to hang out, you know, as far as entertainment on a weekend. So I think that has uh, decreased the number of um, uh, live music venues, people who make it a point to say, okay, I'm going out tonight, where's the band playing? Uh, there's less of that, and so uh, I, you know, it, unfortunately, it lends itself to a lessening, if not nearly hardly any live music venues anymore in the area that uh, uh, outside of Seoul, in many cases. So people who do it do it, I think, a lot of times for the love of it, knowing that it's probably not the best money-making venue out there. But they themselves, in many cases, are either musicians and uh, can appreciate um, the hard work it takes and want to do it themselves, want to be part of it um, as far as hosting live music and being around musicians. Yeah. Is there a couple of name checks you'd like to give to some uh, some of the smaller venues that you've that you've played in with your uh, B three band? Well, yeah, one of our favorites, I have to say, is the uh, um, Alleyway Taft House in Suwon, uh, run by a husband and wife, Edward and Kimmy. They have an excellent venue. A similarly uh, impassioned musician, Edward is. He's a drummer, and he uh, is uh, meticulous with his equipment and uh, a wonderful host. He uh, really does a cool thing. He he, he puts his uh, camera up on the ceiling, attaches it, and uh, uh, Facebook Live broadcasts uh, all the shows that are being played there. So if you uh, play there, you can, you know, tell family members or friends, hey, we're going to be playing. You can log on to Facebook, like the page, and, and watch the show. That's really cool. I mean, it may be at breakfast time wherever you are in the world, but, you know, it's a, it's a cool idea. That's right. But you can also just turn around and watch it, you know, just scroll it up and watch it later on. He's really good with us because he lets us even practice there beforehand, before a show. Yeah, fantastic. Um, yeah, uh, yeah I, I shouldn't say that. Maybe other people will catch on with that. But, <laughs> um, and then and then after we're staying for a few adult beverages. Uh, so that's one place. Um, I mentioned uh, Boogie Woogie up in Seoul is another Kangidan uh, area. Uh, we don't get out to... Um, home day that much only because b3 we like to you know, if it was up to us we'll play three hour shows you know each saturday night we have so much material and uh, a lot of the stuff we do is improv jam so uh, songs can end up being you know 9 10 11 minutes you know if they're in the set list that night um and and and, and home day lends itself to you run it you, you get on stage you plug in you play your 45 or 50 minute set 
and then you're off and the other band comes on. You know, that, that, that I don't think that we match well with the one of the biggest live nightclub areas in Seoul. And I don't know if it's necessary. They probably want us in, in the first place for the way and what we play in, in blues and soul and rock and roll, that combination. But, um, um, you know, there's always a first time. Uh, definitely the the venues that, that you and I would have played, as we mentioned, Woodstock before. And, and even before that, the bar uh, Stompus, where you could pretty much yeah. play. You could have your two and a half, three hours or more. And, uh, yeah, you, you just set up and play all night. And Oh, yeah. These are these are. Go on. Well, I said I remember Stompers before uh, Dwayne and 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 company had it became a live venue when it used to be, um, back in the late '80s or '90s. They'd pass around a microphone and it more or less was you could karaoke with the sound system, with a bunch of people in there. And I used to do that a lot on on, on Friday nights, um, you know, late. Of course, I thought I sounded a lot better than I probably did on their <laughs> less than quality sound system, but uh, it was fun just the same. So, oh, a bit of a sing song yeah. late at night sounds like a good time. Oh yes. yes. Speaking speak, speaking of uh, of that, Tom, what what are some of your if we take a slight tangent? What about some of your own personal musical tastes and inspirations? Because as long as we've known each other, I've known you to have a. I remember you had a, a lot of DVDs in the bar. Ah, uh, like my friend, yes, DVDs or CDs. I can't remember, but yeah, there was, was a lot. Live concert DVDs. I mean, that's what when uh, when we started. I we you know the really a large screen and a projector are not that expensive pieces of equipment. So uh, we put those in there, a hundred foot screen or hundred inch screen, excuse me. And uh, I just started collecting concert DVDs. So uh, to kind of go with the live uh, theme of having live music. If we didn't have live music, I was going to hopefully play live concerts in there um, throughout the evening uh, to get and maintain that live feel. So uh, I still have four or five hundred. Um, live concert DVDs. I have them migrated to uh, you know, a, a hard disk or hard drive so I can take them with me. But um, these days there's so much content on YouTube and, uh, and elsewhere that you, know, you can just more or less log on and watch whatever that you like um, as opposed to putting a DVD in. But uh, yeah, those, I mean, uh, I had my favorites amongst them. Uh, I think you know, some Almond Brothers stuff was probably one of my favorites. Uh, I remember in Excess Live, you know, from Wembley in 91. That was another really good one. And, and this was, you know, way before even, uh, uh, you know, uh, I used to watch concerts on VHS tapes when I'd come home after being out all night and I didn't feel like going to sleep. You know, pop a, a VHS concert in, pour another drink, and sit there and watch, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan or Peter Gabriel or U2 or, or whatever it might be, you know. Uh, um, so, you know, this, this kind of just goes with it, you know, love of live music since you know since i was young what about your your own musical tastes as, a, as the the singer in a band what what kind of stuff gets gets the old blood flowing um gosh it's a bit question. of an open-ended question eh? it's like yeah it is I mean, for me, it, it's a daily thing it's literally that it could be a, a day two three times a day i think of something different and i go oh, i really like this and, well it's, it's a good question you know with a, i mean with a band and you know is it the question you know one has to ask oneself is you know i like so many different things personally and yeah you're right i have always songs in my head that i'm i'm, I'm thinking of and i'll i'll see something and it'll remind me of a line in a song and i'll i'll sing and listen to that um you know afterwards uh but for a band there's a little bit more critical listening um you know listening to songs and think well would that one match well with our band or is that uh, something that might be people might enjoy or is that wow that that guitar part sounds like something uh one of our guitar players would really play well. 
were, hey, this has some good Hammond B3 sound or keyboard sound. This would, you know, Ray, our keyboard player, would really sound good doing that, or we would. So, you know, my personal, uh, I try not to be too commanding in the song selection process. I mean, uh, to try and make it uh, different and eclectic and everybody have a, a say in it. But I probably sometimes end up, you know, being the one making the most suggestions. Uh, I can kick my ass for that if they like. I, I understand. Definitely. It's one of those things when you're at, uh, it's the old democracy band thing, you know, it's, there might be a song that you're not particularly fond of, or you just get on with it, you know, you, you do your bit. and wait for It was funny, I ran across a cool, uh, a little saying, it was more like, in a, it was in a, uh, probably a performance evaluation, uh, something positive about somebody, and I, I, I took it to heart, and I wrote it down, and I have it on a little note here, it says, a collaborative thinker, but a decisive decision maker. So it's kind of the idea of what do you guys want to think we should do? We're going to do this song, you know? And if you ask some of the guys in the band, they they might think that that's how the process goes. I I understand and appreciate that, but I think sometimes, you know, the harder thing is to have a good vision for what you and the band, um, you know, need, need or where you want to go to be successful or to be the people to remember you as a band that they want to have back again. And I think that's uh, something that's, plays strongly into our song selection and what, when, and where, and how we play. Because uh, we want to do it, we want to do it well, and we want to look in the mirror and say, you know, we did, you know, we did a good job. So, how would you describe the band you're, you're, you're in at the moment, Tom? What would, you, what would your elevator pitch be? B3 is the best blues, soul, and rock and roll this side of the DMZ. Uh, really, we, you know, uh, uh, I think that's blue soul and rock and roll it has a little bit of a, a rhyming aspect to it, but um, it covers a lot of genres of music and, and a lot of periods. So, you know, that uh, I think with that, to try and let people know that, you know, you know you'll probably know or, or like some of the songs, anything that we do. Um, not everything, but a lot of stuff. And you'll have a good time while we're playing and we're professional and uh, we bring a lot of experience and enthusiasm to when we play. And I think that'll translate to, to, to you and you're having a good time that night. <laughs> so it's, uh, I mean, does this go back to your own joy of these three genres? Would you say these are the, um, your, your top three or? Well, I, I miss playing, you know, high energy, melodic, crunching rock and roll. I will tell you that much, Greg. You Me know, too. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, for example, I'd love to be a, you know, play some stuff from the 90s. I could do a, I could do a whole night of that or a whole band of that. You know, um, it's just harder to find people who are willing to do that. And also, uh, I mean, I, a lot of musicians who've had experiences playing multiple bands at the same time, you know, sooner or later, something has to go. And a lot of times it's your, your personal life or, or whatever, you know, you've got rehearsals and gigs and everything. So I think right now one band is, is good enough for me. Um, but I wouldn't mind, you know, playing some of the, you know, just, just some crunch and rock and roll once again that, you know, I did with the 99 band, that, you know, with it, that we did for about uh, 10 years or so. That's fun stuff. Because one thing I do remember, you, you have a, a big repertoire of songs that you know. Thank you for remembering. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Uh, I a sent... Big, a big black book, so to speak. It's a big, <laughs> it is. Um, I was, um, who was I talking with? Somebody about maybe getting a project together, you know, just doing acoustic stuff. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, let me send you a list of songs that I do or know. It doesn't necessarily mean I couldn't do other things, but just to give you a frame of reference was, I don't know, probably in, you know, it was four digit, four, you know, it was over, more than a thousand songs. It kind of overwhelmed the person. And, and uh, uh, but I just had good fun about it. You know, I, I think I have a pretty uh, um, good range in my vocals. So it allowed me to sing, you know, from low end repertoire, low end register to a little bit higher up. 
say from Doors to Led Zeppelin, not as well as as uh, Rob did in uh, Over the Hills and Far Away with the Led Zeppelin cover band that was famous here in Seoul for a number of years, um, but enough to do a few of them. So, um, uh, but in the blues band, there's a bit more of a, um, you know, I say blues band because B3 started out as a blues band, the Bluetooth blues band, there go the B3 moniker, mm. <laughs> shortened that a number of years ago. So we didn't get typecast as simply a, a blues band. And, and uh, with the change of people, of course, we've got a lot of uh, influences between jazz and, uh, and the, the, the American South, you know, and that feel of Mississippi and Alabama and, uh, you know, and some of the, the, the feel into the music that that, um, that brings that that brings with us. Great rhythm section. Our rhythm section is, is collectively younger than the rest of us in the band. So it keeps us, uh, you know, us older guys, you know, uh, uh, on our toes. Uh, <laughs> But they are, they're, they're, they're really super. And, and I really appreciate that, that, that they don't mind playing with older guys. You know, we all kind of get along and hopefully, you know, act in the, like, treat each other as equals in that respect. Definitely. Is, is this like music's the great leveler? No, it is. It is. In yeah. many respects. Yeah. Uh, was there any other bands that you've played in recently since uh, today's the first time we, 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 we've talked for, for some time? But is there anything you've done in between that time and the last two, three years. I regularly sit in with uh, Lance Regan Deal at the HBC festivals, the, the HBC festival that Lance uh, organizes every six months and has been going on. It's up on the 15th anniversary this year, if we're able to have it in the May timeframe. But he asked me to do an acoustic set with him at each of the festivals, so we do that. And I sat in with the, with the LRD band on a few occasions. I had, We did a really cool Doors uh, tribute band for one of the HBC festivals. Uh, all the members of the band were people that you know, um, Josh on guitar and, and others. I mean, uh, but we did a one night, a one off on that. Um, I've done some acoustic stuff. We had took some of the guys in the, some of the guys in Bluetooth, the correction of B3. We did an acoustic thing for a while, uh, two guitars and, uh, and, and Tim Gilmore, uh, who ended up playing bass with us and who's since moved back to Australia. Uh, he was on Kayon and uh, we play smaller venues. Uh, still, even those smaller venues you play at, we had the cops called on us a few times. <laughs> Some things cool. have changed, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I guess over the last uh, three years or so, uh, it's been primarily B3. You know, we're pretty active schedule, uh, save for the uh, teacher um, vacation time frames here in Korea, you know, the uh, January and uh, and July time frames. But we're pretty, we're steady and we get the, we're good, good, good gigs or we keep gigs going. You know, both uh, we have some military base gigs they're really appreciative and they ask us to play regularly and then uh, a lesser number of festivals these days um but uh, you know still the carving out uh, venues that we know of and uh, and trying to find some new ones to play at in new cities we're willing to travel now and then yeah well then it's that old adage as well when you you play the place certain amount of times it's good to get out and stretch your legs in these other places whether it be in suwon or Chungju or kwangju or all of these all of these other Korean cities that don't really get, you know, people out with of the, the locals who live there. They don't really get a lot of a lot of people visiting. No, you're right. But, you know, the challenge also is that when you go there the second time that you don't play the same songs over again because, you know, you can look out at an audience, and I've seen this at live shows where a band is very good, but they've uh, carved out more or less the same songs and the same set for quite a number of years. So it's very professional, but they play the same thing. And, you know, you can go in and you watch them play and say, lean over to the guy next to you who's first time seeing them and say, watch, they're going to play this song next and watch, they'll do this. Which, you know, I think it's um, uh, the onus is on the band to, to really bring something new regularly. So 
I, I see that as having a large repertoire of songs. So, you know, 60s songs in a repertoire. Or so, so that way, when you go somewhere, you might not even play the same, any of the songs that you played when you were there the last time, even if it's a, you know, you haven't been there in six months to mix it up some. So I think that's real important for a band like us, for a band that's, you know, basically playing, you know, I'll be honest with you, they're playing covers, playing uh, our own versions of known songs. So that way it sounds fresh and uh, for the, for, for both the people watching and listening and then for ourselves as well. Couple of last questions for you, Tom. Uh, any advice for anyone heading to the Republic of South Korea or uh, they, they want to get into the music scene there? What what kind of advice would you give someone? I would recommend if you can um, bring your uh, bring your axe, bring your guitar, bring your uh, and, and maybe a, a pedal or two. Um, if you're a drummer, bring your sticks and if can bring your cymbals. Korea has a really good music equipment sale, though there's a bit of a price on markup on a lot of the the really high end or better end stuff, uh, just because the way the Korean government has a tax system for uh, musical equipment, it's uh, call it considered a luxury item. So it becomes about a 20% increase. Though you can find a lot of stuff available here in Korea. So I'd recommend just you know, bring your guitar and uh, or, or you know bring some of your ancillary stuff that you really like that you're not going to bring your drum kit, of course. You know, you're not going to bring your you know, set of four keyboards and the stands that go with them. But uh, when you get here, um, there's a lot of open mic nights. There's a lot of uh, jam sessions because in all honesty, from a bar owner's perspective, open mic nights are very good money makers because you don't have to pay anybody and the musicians, you know, and you just maybe give them a drink or two and you have more or less free music to a degree, but it's an opportunity to meet other musicians. Craigslist is not the best, but it's also someplace to look at if you're going to, you know, if you're thinking of coming over here to see what uh, musicians or bands are looking for. Um, Facebook is also another place. Uh, there are a number of uh, private pages that are worth joining. Just to uh, go into a search engine and type, you know, Seoul or Korea and live bands or music or whatever, and see what, uh, you know, if you're an English language speaker, what pops up. I think would be very helpful. But don't come over here. Don't, please don't come over here thinking there's nothing going to be happening because there is a lot of stuff happening and you can be part of it too. Excellent advice. And of course, you can also visit the, the Nagwon Music Market. Right. Where you get lost for days, but we'll save that. We'll save that story for another episode, I think. <laughs> last, last, just bring your wallet, you know, your credit card. That's all you need. Yeah. Set the day. You're all good. Uh, Tom, last question then: Where can we find the band? What what kind of websites and stuff can we find the, about the band? Um, our primary venue for uh, is thanks for asking um, is on Facebook. If you search B three Blues Soul Rock and Roll. It'll will pop up. We have a we try and put a goodly amount of content on there between video and audio and pictures and uh, and feedback and uh, and also that's also the primary way we get our information out about um, about gigs and uh, and and you know try and if you're interested like the page you know you get the stuff automatically. I try and you know put out some uh, just some live music inspirationals on a <laughs> periodic basis as to keep you know keep us going and also just keep in touch with everybody. But, uh, you know, that's, that's how, uh, you know, the best way to get in touch with us. I'm sure somebody will give me a heads up saying, hey, you should have said this. <laughs> right. There's always one you're like, damn. Uh, no, Facebook will add those to the show notes. And because uh, uh, I know you post kind of somewhat semi-regular updates, just in case people are wondering what's going on. Or there, there was one in the last week or so, I think, where you were telling everyone what's the current status of the band. And speaking of that, uh, uh, any gigs lined up this year? Things are somewhat up in the air as we as we're speaking, but all going well. Yeah, yeah we you know like I said, we've got uh, you know we've you're right up in the air, and I think that uh, we all 
we all are mindful of the COVID situation and social distancing. And uh, I mean, bars are a great place where, you know, many different people come together. Well, you know, that can also be a detriment in the, in the situation that we're in right now. So, you know, I think all of us, it goes to the larger question of when can we start maybe resuming some of our normal routines. And Korea, we're a little bit, when I say we're ahead, it's just we got hit first, as opposed to maybe some of the other areas that uh, are currently going through on varying scales, what Korea went through back in late February and early March. So, you know, to say loosely, you know, uh, I'd love to say we're going to be playing on March 2nd at the Alleyway Tap House in Suwon, South Korea. We talked about that with Edward um, when we had to cancel our 15 or our 14 March gig because of of the coronavirus. So I think we're at the point right now where two May might be a little bit aggressive and we might have to revert back to June as a kind of a start date for gigs, hopefully. I mean, uh, we haven't played since January and we want to get a practice or two in there. We have some new stuff we want to add. We, we've been working individually on it, but uh, I, you know, I, I, I'm sure as heck hope that the HBC festival can happen on, I think it's May 23rd is the core date. That's the 15th anniversary. Uh, we hope to play there. But once again, I think the, the situation is going to drive a lot of the decision making on, on everybody when and where they play. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, it's a, ser- a serious situation, but looking on the, the optimistic side, you know, hopefully when things are safe and we can all get back out there and enjoy some good old fashioned rock and roll. Yay. Or if we can't do that, then do it at home safely. <laughs> Just turn it up really loud. I'm going to do that later tonight here. I've got some. I got some vodka and some tonic and a few limes and, and there's going to be some live concert looking tonight because this has been a great conversation with you, my friend. For those out there, Craig and I played in, you know, two or three different um, projects together. Stones band, a, a short-lived kind of rock and roll band, the four of us with Red Letter Day. Good I, I it's still a good name for a band. I think it's a great name for a band. <laughs> came up with it. I'm, I'm so used to coming up with names and bands, but you came up with that one. I was like, right away, man, that's a good name. Jinx from the beginning, Tom. That's what it was. <laughs> <man>. <laughs> Never let the drummer be that creative. <laughs> it's a fluke most of the time anyway. Yeah. Tom, you ready for a top five? Right, lightning top five. Let's go. An artist that we should be listening to. Who is it? Who should we be listening to? Tell us someone we don't know. I would listen. I would say if you're a rock and roll fan, you never listen to Anything Could Happen, the album by Tommy Stinson. Um, he used to be with The Replacements. I uh, came out about nothing in 2000 something or other, but it's my go-to rock and roll album. Fantastic. It used to be in replacement and it's like the faces and the stones and melancholy, cheeky sadness with the best beat ever. Am I thinking Paul Vesterberg? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm right. Yeah. Bass player in, in the replacement. Yeah. Right. Good call. The name, the name of the band is, uh, is uh, I forget. Just, just look up Anything Could Happen by Tommy Stinson. Fantastic. Fashion I actually came across some music recently myself, just to kind of cut in on your on your ten minutes here. Uh, a guy called Jackson C. Frank, and okay. I, I believe the, the one of his songs was recently used in the some kind of big movie. It was out recently. I forget which one, but I didn't hear it on that. I heard it through Spotify or something. But then I read this guy's Wikipedia story. My God. If, you, if you're ever in a downer, don't read this guy's story because it's just, it's unbelievable. <laughs> but the music, the music he made, he, I think he was found by Paul Simon or Paul, Paul Simon 
found him and recorded his stuff in the late 60s. So he's very much like uh, Tim Buckley and all of that kind of sound. Nick, uh, yeah. Nick Drake, I think Nick Drake actually took one of his songs called Milk and Honey. But he's a, is a really late night acoustic vibe. It's fantastic. It's really great. But man, what a story. I, I won't spoil it for you, but I'll let you Google it. Away. Okay. Jackson C. Frank. Best venue you've played at, Tom, of which there are many. Of which there are many, yes. I'd be remiss if I didn't say uh, the, the 99 bar, the TNT bar, which are the two names of the venues that, you know, we, my wife and I owned and ran. She, she owned them. I, I, was, I was actually just, you know, music, uh, cleanup, uh, maintenance, and the occasional eye candy. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, maybe don't, uh, don't sell yourself short, you know. <laughs> Don't say yourself short. Right? You're a tremendous slouch. Um, I, I, let me see. I, I had a great time playing. Um, I was, I'll just say for nostalgic purposes, I'll say Woodstock, only because it was um, a dive on the third floor with terrible equipment. But the vibe when you got on stage playing there was was great. Plus the free drinks afterwards, you know, were didn't didn't hurt either. There was some great banter in there as well, eh, you know. Yes. And that 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 hole in the stage as well. <laughs> you didn't Luckily, I didn't have to deal with the hole in the stage. I think that was more. There, were, there were a number of occasions over the last, you know, the last few years where, I mean, that people went to him, and I, I was part of it one one time. Another said, "Look, let's come in here and just let us clean the stage off. Just take all the crap out, like that, the chair, or whatever, you know." And, and he punched me in the chest so hard. He called me an MF right there. Just he was laughing, you know, and, and just gave me a shot of one fifty one. Not that I. Oh it. my god! But, uh, yeah, but yeah, that was a cool venue. That yeah, cool. definitely. Uh, Tom, how about a guilty pleasure? A band, an artist, a song that you shouldn't like but you do. George Michael uh, from the uh, uh, "Listen Without Prejudice" album. I, I love that album. I'm trying to remember some of the songs on of it now. Yeah, it was um, "Jesus to a Child." Jesus uh, to a Child. Okay. That, that was probably one of the lamer ones, but uh, uh, Waiting for That Day, um, the video that he had all the supermodels on. Yeah, right. Uh, he did a version of Stevie Wonder's uh, uh, I Won't Go. Um, um, but it was uh, it was a very uh, uh, breakout album for him, but I've always liked listening to that. Is it not just like a plain white cover, the album sleeve? I don't recall. I mean, no. uh, I have a picture. Trans- yeah, very. He's over to computer back, uh, like, 20 years ago or 15 years ago so I, and I sold all the CDs so I don't remember what the album cover looked like. I think it was black and white looked like there was a lot of people on the uh, yeah. you know like the crowd. But yeah, a great singer, great performer bit of a troubled character like many, many in the music business are or end up this way but yeah, no, that's not a bad call. I'll give you that one. You get, you get a pass. So who would you most like to collaborate with and why? You can be in the band or not. Oh, okay. Let me see. The Expensive Winos, which is uh, Keith Richards' uh, band that he had behind them when he did the solo stuff back in the 80s with Steve Jordan on drums and Waddy Wachtel on guitar and I think Charlie Jordan on bass, uh, Ivan Neville on keyboards. Um, I remember seeing that show back in 88, that live show when Keith played live. But, I mean, to put it together, I don't know, that, that's just something off the top of my head. That was a really cool band and, and the vibe on that was nice. It would be kind of cool to do something there. That's what they actually, you know, uh, the name, the 99 bar, uh, kind of came from a Keith Richards song uh, off the Main Offender album called 999. Um, I thought numbers you know, always had have a very powerful um, uh, meaning or, or vision in the band name. And um, I put my wife and I, we had, we had to come up with a name really quick. 
you know, because we were going to get the, the lights done and everything. She says, we need to come up with a name. And I came up with a 99 bar and, and she hit on that right away. And uh, so that's what we were at first. Um, so I, I guess maybe that would kind of tie it all in together. That would definitely be an interesting uh, jam session with old Keith and all that other good stuff. Tom, what about your go-to karaoke tune? This is a bit of an ominous question because we could be here forever answering it, you know? No, I, my, my go-to karaoke tune is Honest, uh, Honesty by Billy Joel. Oh, great song. For years, I used to get hundreds on that one. So, you know, I'll always go to that one. Oh, it's a nice if, call. Yeah, if I'm trying to impress. But, you know, because I'll be honest with you, karaoke is harder because uh, when I get on there, people afterwards they say, well, I don't want to sing anymore. And I'm, I'm not trying to be... Uh, conceited but uh so i like to go and sing the harmonies and so if if i'm there I'll, i try and get people to pick motown songs so i can sing the, the high-end harmonies or whatever behind so that's probably my second go-to karaoke thing i had one of those strange reverse culture shocks when i when i was living in scotland before moving on to germany and i was in a pub of course as you do and i think i was with my brothers i don't even remember i don't know there was a bunch of merriment going on somewhere and in this pub we were in it was in uh, our hometown the town i grew up in in the old village part of the town and we went into this pub maybe it's like 10 11 o'clock i remember being with my two brothers and a bunch of other guys and then the karaoke machine was there and of course i hadn't seen a karaoke machine out in the open for i don't know how many years you know and it was uh yeah yeah <laughs> quite the quite the thing on the plus side there was no tambourine so this was great oh there's too many tambourines here in Korea. Oh, too, too many people play on the one and three instead of the two and the four. It's like polka music, the way they play, you know, have a tendency to play tambourines here in Korea. And but on, there's enthusiasm. There's enthusiasm, I'll say that much. Exactly. So, <laughs> on the so two and the four, please. It usually lasts one round because after one round, what you'll see if you happen to stick your head into a karaoke room is one person singing and everybody else pouring over the books about what song should I sing next. Not paying attention to the person who's singing. <laughs> Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much for your time. I I thank you. I want to say thank you that I, I met the muster that you considered me for this show. Um, uh, I really had a great time. Uh, I was worried about sounding like a, an idiot. I didn't want. To, that's why I did all the prep work. That's my job. I know, I know. But I, sometimes <laughs> I have to capture my own thoughts. There's so many of them going on. I really wish, uh, I hope, wish you the best with this, Craig. And uh, if you ever need anybody or help getting uh, with, with anything, getting people or um, getting in touch with people, I'm more than happy to help. Definitely. Tom, take care, and I'll speak to you sometime soon. Cheers. Very good. Cheers, Craig. Out here. Bye-bye. We made it to the end of episode 7. I had a great time catching up with Tom. He's not just a great frontman, but great company. And I think that comes across in the podcast. Look for the B3 band on Facebook, Blues, Soul and Rock and Roll. And of course, if you get the chance, go see them in person. Nothing quite like it. Where can you find out more about Can't Find My Way Home? You can find us on Spotify, search for podcasts and Can't Find My Way Home. We're also on Google and Apple Podcasts under the same name. Also, Anchor.fm is our host, and from there, it'll take you to numerous platforms. Over on our YouTube channel, you can find episodes, clips, and a bunch of playlists featuring songs, themes, artists, and more. Finally, on Instagram at can't.findmywayhome, 
and our main hub is at Expat Music Pod, all one word on Facebook, or simply search for Can't Find My Way Home. Stay safe and socially distant, and until the next one, cheers. <laughs>